Let's uh, come before the Lord on this uh, wonderful day. Gracious Father, as we look into your word, we pray that you'd open our eyes to see what we haven't seen before and that your spirit would be able to apply it to our hearts in a way that hasn't been applied before. And we uh, rely upon you for that. Amen. So, some months ago I set out a plan for the whole year on uh, what I was going to preach on and this week and next week we're going to preach on money and then somehow or other who should turn up on this day. I only realised that a few days ago we've got Church of Christ Financial Services. So God knows more things than I know, which is really good. Thank goodness for that. My, my, my research is a start. I started off thinking about tithing and the uh, three main types of tithing in the Old Testament at least. And then I thought, well, how's the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, how does that influence our thinking in the New Covenant? And then I thought about uh, uh, in the New Testament, being generous leads to God being generous to you. And God loves a cheerful giver and each person should give as they feel God wants them to give. But underneath these considerations is what you could call the sunglasses problem. You know, when you go out into the day with your sunglasses on, it's different from when you go out into the day without your sunnies on. Because how you see the day is affected by the glasses you wear because they are a filter. They filter your view. And whether you realise it or not, we all look at life through the filter of uh, our family background, our past experiences, our learnings. Our, our backgrounds, our church backgrounds. And so it occurred to me that there wasn't much point in looking at the tithing thing unless we considered the filter underneath through which we look at money. The filter through which we look at money. And our key section of scripture today, if you want to keep it open, will be in there a few bits, a, few, a lot, is Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we've got some verses around about 19 and 21 where Jesus says, don't store up treasures in heaven. And then after verse 24, you've got no one can serve both God and money. So let's look at those. Verse 19, we've got this. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But do store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And then you jump down a little bit more to verse 24, and it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other, because you cannot serve both God and money. So what's in between? In between those is something a bit strange. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So you say, sounds a bit random, but... We do know God is not actually random at all. So why is this section on your eyes stuck between two things about money? Well, it makes sense if you think about this concept of filters. You see, if your eyesight's good, 
You can move around the room with no trouble at all. Your eyes allow the light in, registers on the retina. Brain gets first class information. But if you have dodgy eyes moving around the room, you can run into unseen problems like low coffee tables. And what all that means is that money has the power to mess up your eyesight. Money has the power to mess up your eyesight. It has the capacity to cause selective blindness. An important resource I use for today's message is a sermon by Tim Keller entitled Treasure Versus Money. And he talks about one time, he's giving a series of monthly messages to a men's breakfast and he happens to be speaking about the seven deadly sins over the course every month. He takes one of them and talks about it. So his wife said, as wives do, they ask him what's going on and what, whether the topics were being advertised before the meeting. And he said, yes. Well, then she predicted, she said, on the day you talk about greed, the attendance will drop. And Tim was surprised to find that she was right. So he said, why is that the case? Were people hostile to the subject of greed? Well, no, they weren't. They were just absolutely sure that they didn't have a problem with greed. They were basically blind to the thought that they might have a problem with greed. And so think about it. How many of your friends, when you're having an appropriate D&M, <laughs> confess, oh, look, I think I'm too materialistic. Just can't stop myself from earning money. Uh, I find it really easy to be greedy. Has anyone ever said that to you? <laughs> oh, one person. <laughs> I'm guessing, though, that you've had an infinitely greater number of discussions where people wonder, I don't know how I'm going to get by. I, I, I can't seem to earn enough money to pay the bills. I'm just scraping by at the moment. And most of us don't even consider the possibility that we are greedy. Me? Greedy? Oh, we immediately think of the rich people we know. And all of us have friends or a relative who are way more extravagant with money than we are. And all we need to do is know someone who he's really greedy and we think, look, I'm nothing like him. I'm not materialistic. Um, I guess this message is good for those other guys in the room today. So materialism, what is it? You can define it as an inordinate desire or a dependence on money and material things. And what we're saying today is that materialism has a peculiar way of blinding you spiritually, of distorting the way you see things. Take this example. Materialism has the power to get you to choose a job that you don't really love, that you're not really good at, that doesn't really help people, but which makes a lot of money. And so you choose the job on the basis of the pay packet. Does that sound like any FIFO jobs you know? And then in five years or so you wonder why you feel empty inside. And if it's a FIFO job, you wonder, why don't the kids listen to me as much anymore? And you realise that your eye has been dark. You've chosen money over relationships. You see, materialism can keep you from asking hard questions about your lifestyle. 
Maybe you like to hang around with people who are making 10 times more money than you because you feel rich hanging around with them. But guess what? They're hanging around with somebody else who makes 10 times more money than them so they can feel rich. And so actually no one ever feels rich. Materialism keeps you from asking hard questions about your lifestyle. Like, do I need to be spending this money on the new Renault or on clothes, on cars, on trips? Because you can instantly think of other people's new Renaults, their new kitchen. You can think of that lovely new dress. You can think of their modified hot car. You can think of, wow, what a wonderful holiday they had. Because there's always someone else who spent way more than you want to spend. So you don't ask questions. You don't ask yourself whether you could be giving more money through your church to the poor, to your friends, to spread the gospel. You don't ask how could you be more radically generous if you made a few changes in spending. You don't want to ask. You don't want to think about it. Materialism can blind you as you choose your job, but it also can blind you in the conduct of your job. How many companies make money but hurt the community or hurt the environment. They're dragged screaming into environmental responsibility because they don't want to ask the hard questions. And it seems that making money without hurting people it takes a very backseat role to making the shareholders annual profit and dividend. Let me give you a recent illustration. We'll go back to when Alan was young to 1635. <laughs> A guy named Robert Kane. He was a member of the First Congregational Church of Boston. He's doing pretty well. He's a businessman, but his elders disciplined him for the sin of greed. Now, why would they do that? Well, it was because he was selling his product at 6% profit. And the church had decided three or four years before that Christians were only allowed to sell their wares at 4% profit. So they found out he's doing 6% profit and they disciplined him for the sin of greed. And some of you are saying, where does it say in the Bible 4%? What are you talking about? Well, these church elders knew something. They knew that when you're committing adultery, you know you're committing adultery. But when you're being greedy, you never know. When you're being greedy, you never know. So they sat down as a group of Christians and they said, well, we know Jesus talks about money all the time. He's constantly saying, watch out for greed. He's always saying, give your money away. He's always saying, don't spend all your money on yourself. So that means that some business practices must be greedy. Some lifestyles have to be greedy. How are we going to know? Well, let's sit down as a Christian community and decide at our time, in our place, in this spot, what a greedy lifestyle is and what a greedy business practice is. And so they did that, got a consensus, decided on the rules, decided to hold each other accountable. It was consensual. And, of course, Robert Kane knew about it and he tried to push past the limits. So he got disciplined. Well, it's plain that commerce and industry is so complicated today that it's impossible come up with a simplistic figure for the right amount of profit. However, the point of the story is, who are you accountable to? And I don't mean the shareholders. 
what Christians have you talked about this with in your area of commerce or industry and said, well, let's talk about how we spend money on each other. Let's talk about how much we're giving away. Let's talk about how much we're keeping and what we're doing. Because it's really important to talk about it with somebody. We all need independent standards because we can't trust ourselves. We can't trust ourselves to decide what a fair thing is. And now I've moved from preaching to meddling, haven't I? Who really wants to think about this? About what I spend my money on? I don't want to consider that I didn't really need to spend that money. I sure don't want to talk to other people about it, particularly before I spend it. I just want to get the ball moving. I want to make progress. I want to get the job done. And I'd really like to enjoy life a bit before I get too old. And that's Jesus' whole point about greed. Money has the power to keep you from asking questions about how you spend your money and how you make your money. Well, maybe you're right now you're thinking, I'm good with material things. I couldn't give any more away. I couldn't live more simply. I couldn't be more generous. In fact, I am really pretty generous. But the rest of the world shouts another reality. On Wednesday, we had Ross Nancaro in here talking about life in Nepal. And he said that the average guy in Nepal gets by on two to three dollars a day. That's what he lives on. That's like trying to live on one cappuccino every second day. So there's a point of comparison, isn't it? And there are so many good things that we could be achieving in, every, in other parts of the world if we didn't think we had to have the latest very useful technology or whatever it is. It's astounding that we live in the place where we live in the time we live and we don't consider the possibility that maybe we can be greedy. And it shows the power of greed and it shows the power of money and it leads us to ask why does money exert such power over us and the answer is in verse 21 of chapter 6 there for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and let's remind ourselves of the context do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the place where your heart rests is revealed by money. And one of the means of this is that money is a way of getting significance. You know, for many people, they spend money in order to live in a certain suburb, in order to eat at certain restaurants, in order to move in certain social circles and dress in certain ways because they feel important and they feel noticed and they feel recognised as nice people there. And they feel significant because they're part of that same lifestyle as the rest of the community. And if teenagers don't think this applies to them, which teenager hasn't said, but everyone has an iPhone. 
or everyone wears clothes like that because of that community thing. And notice how we look at people, how we look at other people in this eternal game of trying to work out where you fit in. We look at it from an economic perspective. We look at people who are in an economically lower class than us and think or say, well, you're below me. Middle class people in general, they feel superior to the poor. We give them money, we feel sorry for them and we pity them and in general we just feel superior to them. But there's no good reason to feel superior. If we all started where they started, would we actually be any better off than they are now? Just so easy to feel that because we're better off economically that we're just better. We're of higher calibre. It's an automatic thing, isn't it? And then for a lot of us, money is security. Some people say, I, I need money to feel safe. I need so much in my super fund to feel safe. And bankers and financial advisors have made a living out of people's needs to feel safe, to have a safe amount invested for their fading days. And for other people, it's about being in control. You know, if I've got enough money, I can control the factors in my world that I want to control so we're successful. And both the need for security and that need for control are about thinking, if I have money, then I'll have control in an uncontrollable world. And if things come along, I'm safe. But Jesus points out that being in control is an illusion. It's a dream. It's an imagination. Verse 27 of Matthew 6, what does it say there? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And Jesus says that running after these things cannot add a minute to your life because it's God who's in control of these things, not you and not money. You see, money is not going to turn you into God. Money's not going to turn you into God. That's what you're thinking. You say, I've got enough money, I'm okay. Let me give a, an illustration. There was a professor, his name was Addison Leach, and a couple of young women became Christians in college and went back to their parents and said, we've become Christians, we want to become missionaries. And each of the parents said, now dear, that's great. You've had a religious experience. That's wonderful. But you need some security. Before you go off to have your missionary experience, which is fine, we want you to have a master's degree. We want you to have taken a job or two so you've got your career off the ground and we want you to have some money in the bank for your security. So the women came back to the professor and said, Dr. Lurch, what do we say about that? And Dr. Lurch said, well, here's what I'll say to your parents. Tell them. We're on a little ball of rock spinning through space. It's called Earth. And who knows if we're going to run into something. But even if we don't, someday under each one of us is going to open up a trapdoor and everyone is going to fall off. At the end of your life, a trapdoor will open up underneath and you'll fall off that little ball of rock and underneath will be the everlasting arms or nothing at all. 
and you think that having a master's degree is going to give you some security. Money can give you that illusion. It can give you the illusion that you're significant, but making lots of money, what can it do? It can make you an arrogant person that nobody likes, and no amount of money can stop death or explain tragedy or stop broken relationships. And it doesn't go with you into eternity. So how do you do that? How do you break that power of money over us? And you break it by understanding the gospel. So we've been saying a few times now, verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where the moth and vermin destroy and thieves break in and destroy. But store up treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart. So it comes down to what you really treasure. If you've seen any of the Lord of the Rings, you'll know it's about a special ring, one ring to bind them all, a beautiful ring, a powerful ring, and whoever has the ring calls it the precious. And Jesus is pointing out that at the centre of everybody's soul there is the precious. Something you've looked at and said, this is precious to me. If I have this thing, then it's all worth it. But whatever that is, you are enslaved to it. Once your soul treasures something, you pay any price for it. You'll do anything to get it because it's the only thing that's worth it for you because that's what you're after. And the Bible says that every treasure but Jesus will insist that you die to purchase it. By contrast, Jesus himself is the one treasure who died to purchase you. Think about it. He had the ultimate status. He had the ultimate security. He was the son of the father. But he lost all of his treasure, paid all of his treasure for the precious, for you and for me. Jesus looked at us and sort of said, if I have them, even going to hell will be worth it. Amen. And Isaiah 53 tells us by prophecy that when he saw the results of his, of his suffering, he was satisfied because he had his precious. Look at Isaiah 53 verse 11. After he suffered, he will see the light of light, life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. He justified many, he justified his precious. And knowing that we are God's purchased possession, that we are his treasure and he treasures us and he cares for us, and then in turn returning the favour, entering into and enjoying being his precious, and in turn making him our precious, that's what frees you from money and it frees you from everything else too and it makes you spiritually wealthy. You want to test whether or not you're spiritually wealthy and healthy? Here's a test. Do you resent rich people? Do you feel contempt for them? 
Jews say, oh, look at their disgusting opulence. Look at that obscene amount of money. The money they waste on their homes. The pile of useless doodads. I am not like them. And if you feel superior, then money still has power over you. And your spiritual wealth is minimal because you lack humility. Or if you envy rich people, and think, gee, they're really something because of their riches, that also shows the money has power over you. See, the gospel message is that you're more sinful than you ever dared to believe, but you're more loved than you ever dared to hope. And realizing your sinfulness keeps you from feeling superior to rich people, and realizing your love keeps you from feeling inferior to rich people. The gospel puts you in a place where money is no longer a factor to consider and thus has no power over you. Another way of testing whether money has power over you is your attitude to poor people. Do you respect them because they are people loved by Jesus like you are? And do you expect to learn anything from them? Are you careful not to look down your nose at them? Can you separate their value from their economic situation? Jesus lost all of his treasure to make you his treasure. That's humbling. It should melt our hearts. It should lift us up. And if this truth has our hearts, we have no problem loving rich people, we have no lo problem loving poor people, we have no problem loving all people. And out of that, the next sign that money no longer has power over you is that you get really generous. Look at verse 23 there in Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. And that if your eyes are healthy, that word, Greek word is, can also mean generous. So when Jesus is your treasure, you develop a generous eye. An eye for opportunities to make good things happen with the resources that you control. Whether it be missionary endeavours at home or abroad, looking after persecuted believers, human trafficking, it's an endless list. And as you look at the endless list of possibilities and wonder how much Think about Jesus' example. When Jesus treasured you, he treasured you sacrificially. And that's our lead example. So giving money away as Jesus did means some sacrifices to your lifestyle. If you give money but it doesn't cut into the way you live, it's not sacrifice. If there's no cross in your economic lifestyle, then you're not responding as Jesus responded to you. King David, a man after David's, after God's heart said, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. You see that in 2 Samuel 24. The king said to Arona, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. For most people, the tithe is the goal and the Bible says give away 10% and that's a good figure to think about in terms of your giving. 
And it's a good way to tell whether the gospel's at work in your heart because if the gospel is working in your heart and you see what Jesus has done for you, then 10% doesn't seem much. What if Jesus had only tithed his blood for us? Well, we'd still be lost. He gave it all. He went way past the tithe. And 10% 10 doesn't seem much. However, for most people, it means a sacrifice. And there will be a cross in the 10% for most of us. Friends, if Jesus is your treasure, you'll love the rich. If Jesus is your treasure, you'll love the poor. If your Jesus is your treasure, you'll be giving money away joyfully, deliberately, happily to build God's kingdom. You know, there was a reason why the early church was successful and we have an old letter from Diognetus who told why the early Christians just stunned people. He said, We share our table with all, but we do not share our bed with all. He said, In other words, the pagans are promiscuous with their body, but stingy with their money, and Christians are stingy with their body and promiscuous with their money. And a city filled with that kind of person is going to be a healthy city. A neighbourhood filled with that kind of person is going to be a healthy neighbourhood. So friends, may your precious be Jesus, for you are his precious. Let us pray. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Gracious Lord, please remove the sunglasses, the filters which prevent us from seeing our greed and materialism. Allow us to enjoy the fullness of loving relationship you offer us and as your sons and daughters to live life with you as our treasure, our precious and not money. Amen. Amen.